Welcome to Remnant Radio. Glad to have you listening. We're here to share Jewish testimonies about trusting in Yeshua, also known as Jesus. Our focus is to the Jew first and also the Gentile, because God has not rejected his people and has made the two one new man. Now, here are your hosts for Remnant Radio, Joseph Trocchio and Howard Somerville. Thanks, Eric. That was Eric Carthen, Metro Detroit's best voice actor. Well, it's September 14th, 2017, and I'm here with Brother and Messiah Howard Somerville, and we're about to get into tonight's Messianic Jewish testimony. Howard, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, last year, I met Ron Davis on a mission trip to New York. We spent some time together while reaching out to the Jewish community of Brooklyn, where Ron is originally from. I learned a couple of things uh, from Ron that, I, uh, that have stayed with me even to this day. Ron has a, uh, has a strong yet a gentle spirit about him, um, and I, I was blessed by him. He's, uh, he, he, he left me with a, a good sense that he's a good man, and uh, I'm grateful to have him here. He loves the Jewish people, and he loves Yeshua. Ron will be telling his story of faith tonight. <clears throat> uh, and uh, earlier this year, he joined the staff of Chosen People Ministries, something that I just learned about here a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations, by the way, Ron. That's a, a great yeah. that's a great privilege and, a, and an honor to be with a great organization. Yes, Ron, thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Ron... Um, Ron and his wife uh, live in Southern California, and um, um, uh, he moved to uh, California from Brooklyn when he was a young boy. He grew up in a secular Jewish home, knowing little about Christianity and less about Jesus, other than Jewish people just don't believe in Jesus. Um, in an interesting reversal of events, Ron's parents came to faith in Messiah, first and shortly after decided to share their faith with him uh, that was a shock to ron at the age of 26 nevertheless as he researched these claims to prove them wrong he was amazed to see evidence of jesus in his hebrew bible and to see how jewish jesus really is um, after reading uh, the new covenant scriptures ron thought that this was the best kept secret in the world as he studied and grew in his faith, his passion to share Messiah with his Jewish people also grew. He also felt a burden to share Jewish roots of the faith with Christians, equipping them to take the gospel to the Jewish people in a way that makes uh, sense to Jewish people. This led to establishing the first Messianic Jewish congregations in Orange County, California. While having a successful career as a high school teacher, and then school psychologist on a high school campus, Ron enrolled at Talbot Theological Seminary, or I'm sorry, Talbot School of Theology, uh, completing his uh, degree, his graduate degree in apologetics. He and his wife, Kay, have four children and eight grandchildren so far and are very active in Messianic Jewish outreach. Ron's focus on ministry is to bring a special understanding among Christians concerning the Jewish people 
and the land of Israel, both of which are under attack at this time, and the need for an effective Jewish apologetic and evangelism. Ron, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. And many, many thanks for, uh, for being you and taking the time to share your story and, uh, and to uh, work at reaching out to your people. I'm grateful. Thanks. Thanks, bro, for being well, here. Thank, well, well thank, thank you. And, uh, you know, I've got to be me because it's never worked out trying to be anybody else. <laughs> I get that, bro. I get it. <laughs> so let me make one correction. It's not really a correction, but uh, we, we have eight grandkids. Number nine, I just found out, is on the way. Cool. Congratulations. Many yeah. congratulations. Yeah, so we'll have a baseball team now. <laughs> All right, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. <clears throat> uh, okay. um, I like that story. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, Ron, um, why don't you start off by just kind of telling us um, uh, a little bit. Obviously, we know that you're, you're a missionary with Chosen People, but that's a relatively new position. So it's a new experience for you. And uh uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that and then get um, get in the rest of uh, your story. Okay, sure. Yeah, well, you know, my wife and I were excited to go back to New York. Anytime I go back to New York, uh, it, it's like going back home in a sense. Uh, no matter how long I've been here in California, I uh, have friends there and family there. And uh, so uh, always enjoy going back. And uh, we went back the beginning of this year and uh, got to meet with a lot of the people at the headquarters of Chosen People Ministries and uh, the beautiful people in an organization um, reaching out to Jewish people. It's a very, very old organization, I might add. It's, uh, it's been around since uh, the late 1800s, probably around 120 years or so. And so it's probably one of the oldest, oldest Jewish missionary um, evangelistic uh, outreaches uh, in existence today. And uh, got a chance to meet with them and uh, been working with them uh, since the beginning of this year officially, but have been working with them prior to that uh you know, as well. So um, I am uh, uh, very glad to be associated with a good organization like that. Um, I should probably give you a little bit of my story and my background, just a little bit of where, where I came from. Uh, you know, Joe, we already, you already, uh, you know, kind of uh, indicated that uh, and we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, I came originally from Brooklyn, New York. In fact, the whole family uh, was uh, from Brooklyn, um, except for my grandparents, of course, who were immigrants. But we, we lived in a little apartment above Siegel's Grocery Store in Brooklyn. And uh, as I said, my grandparents all came here from uh, Eastern Europe uh, and Russia, my on my father's side were from uh, Russia and on my mother's side uh, were from my grandmother was from Poland and my grandfather was from Lithuania and uh, they all spoke primarily Yiddish in addition to their native languages so as I was growing up 
kid, I kind of had to speak half Yiddish and half English, uh, you know, to be able to understand and talk to them. Uh, when they came here, they had no money. They had no family here in America. And they all came through Ellis Island and they settled in in Brooklyn. They didn't stop uh, on the Lower East Side. The Williamsburg Bridge had already been built, and so they just went straight across and lived in Brooklyn, just uh, stayed there, you know, lowering real estate values, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, my, my experience uh, was that of living in a very Jewish neighborhood, and that's, uh, that's what I began growing up with. I, uh, you know, all of my friends were Jewish, public school that I went to was predominantly Jewish. Uh, it even closed on the Jewish High Holy Days. Uh, my grandfather and my father uh, owned a kosher butcher shop in Brooklyn. And uh, my dad did that even. And he, he dropped out of high school and went to work with the family because those were that was in the Depression years. And uh, and so he, he went to work uh, and did that basically until Pearl Harbor, you know, World War II, and then he went and enlisted in the Navy. Um, but as I was growing up, uh, that's what he was doing. My mother uh, didn't didn't work. I mean, most most moms back then didn't. Uh, she shopped in a number of Jewish markets, which each had their own specialty. You know, uh, if you wanted fish, you went to the fish market. If you wanted beef, you went to the butcher. Of course, we were, already had our own butcher shop, so uh, we, we had all of that taken care of. Uh, the store for bakery items. Uh, there was a separate store for dairy. And we were basically three generations of Jews living a very Jewish lifestyle in New York until my family began to make this great migration west uh, to California. And... Uh, my, my grandparents on my mother's side already had moved out here, and my mother had a brother who had moved out here. And so it wasn't exactly like we were coming uh, to no one, uh, but we, we left all of the old friends back in New York. And uh, even then here in California, it seemed as if we found all of the Jewish transplants from New York. Wow. Uh, because yeah, so many people were moving out here to California. So we were able to maintain the kinds of friendships and lifestyle and, uh, you know, all of those things that we were accustomed to. Uh, nevertheless, there were some things that changed uh, because in California, uh, our neighborhood was anything but Jewish. Uh, none of the kids I played with in the neighborhood were Jewish. And although I had some good friends. I also experienced uh, more than enough anti-Semitism growing up in the 1950s and 60s. Mm. And so yeah, I, I learned at a young age that there were two people groups, you know, uh, there was us and them. And uh, there, there were, you know, many days uh, when I got out of school that I had to take a different route home from school to avoid getting beaten up just because I was Jewish. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it was kind of scary uh, as, as a kid. And that, you know, I would say that is, that was my first encounter with quote unquote Christians, mm -hmm. you know, and I want to put that in the, in the quotes. Yep. Um, 
I didn't I didn't really know anything about anti-Semitism because coming from New York, you know, it just wasn't an issue where we lived. Uh, you know, the only thing I knew was that these kids didn't like Jews and they didn't like me because I was Jewish. And uh, they would say things to me uh, like I was a Christ killer. And uh, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Wow. So, wow. you know, it, it was just kind of the environment. Uh, I, I needed to learn how to be a fast runner. That's what I needed to do. <laughs> but uh, I got a little more education on the topic with regard to my Jewish identity and that happened when I was about 10 years old. And I remember I was playing a game of marbles with one of my friends uh, back in, in the 50s and 60s. That was, you know, it was a big deal when you were a kid. That's what you did outside. There wasn't any video games or anything. So you went outside and you played ball or you played marbles or whatever. And so I was, I was doing that. And when I was playing with my friend, his name was Buddy. While we were playing, he leaned forward and this little chain fell out of his T-shirt. And it had a cross on it with a little man on the cross. And I asked Buddy what that was, you know, and he kind of gave me a look, you know, kind of an incredulous look like, you, you know, what do you mean what it was? Like I was supposed to know what it was. And he says he told me that it was a crucifix. And, you know, I said, what is that? And he said, it's Jesus, you know, and so. When I got home, I asked my Jewish mother if I could have one of those things just like Buddy. <laughs> and so after she picked herself up off the floor, you know, she told me, no, I couldn't. And when I asked her why, she told me, because he's not for you. And that's basically how I grew up. You know, it was us and them, Jews and Christians. If you weren't a Jew, then you were a Christian. Mm. And the world was just divided into us and them in that way. At least that was my understanding right. of it. And, of course, I, I didn't understand too much of what I did understand anyway. <laughs> but it stayed that way all through my growing up years. And the one thing, you know, I knew for sure as a Jew— was that Jews don't believe in Jesus. And so it's, you know, it's interesting to me that of all of the people groups in the world, the Jewish people are the only ones in particular that are known as the ones who do not believe in Jesus. You know, that's not true of Muslims. Uh, that's not true of Buddhists. Buddhists are not known by the fact that they don't believe in mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I grew up with this uh, with this understanding that believing in Jesus was the equivalent of committing ethnic suicide. And so becoming a believer actually meant joining the other side. You know, it was kind of like there was the persecutors and there were the persecuted. And it was like the persecuted joining the persecutors. Yep. And so it meant giving up your Jewish identity. And, you know, you, you just you couldn't be a Jew and a Christian. You know, the Jews said so and Christianity said so as well. And so the words of my mother stuck with me until I was 26 years old in 1975. And so you can do the math on that. Um, you know, and it it was at that time that I received my first credible 
witness concerning Jesus and and who he was. And uh, it was from, guess who it was from, of all people? I, I, I know, but I'm going to let you say it. It, it was my mother. <laughs> the, one, the one who told me he's not for you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now all of us. Yeah, now all of a sudden she told me disregard everything she ever told me about <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Know? Wow. Yeah. And uh, and so the interesting part of this uh, is that my mother had been very sick for a, num a number of years. Uh, she had uh, diverticulitis and she was in a lot of pain and she was on constant medication. But I had noticed uh, before she, you know, gave me this revelation that for the last couple of weeks prior to that, uh, she seemed to be pretty happy. And, uh, you know, so she, she said, I, I have something to tell you. And she said, you have heard of Hebrew Christians, right? And I said, no, <laughs> you know, uh, this is, she said, this well, is their amazing. father and I are Hebrew Christians. Wow. You know, and I, you know, I didn't know what in the world, to do with that they said we accepted jesus and his name is yeshua you know and uh just as a little background i, I don't want to forget to to tell you that you know she had been presented with a witness of jesus and she said you know i'll have to have a sign before i believe that mm. and you know i told you she was very sick but she was healed immediately just boom no nope Nobody prayed for her. Nobody asked no. for it. No, right. She, she said yeah. she was presented with Jesus, and she said she needs a sign. And right yeah. after that, she was healed. Yeah, yeah. She said, "I'll have to have a before I believe that." And she was healed, and her medication stayed on the windowsill uh, from that day forward. Uh, she never touched it again. Never took anything, and uh, you know that's. Uh, that was her sign. Yeah, that's that's a big oh, sign. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So All here, right. Here's my mother and father. They're telling me they're they're Hebrew Christians, you know, and uh, you know, we were having dinner with them, and that's what they gave us for dessert, you know, and uh, <laughs> and so she asked me. Not too sweet. Said, sort of. What that. Not too sweet, but, you know, for you yeah, it probably yeah. wasn't sweet, but for them it was sweet. Yeah. Well, she asked uh, if she could read me a prophecy out of the Bible. And I told her it had to be out of my Bible. And she said, it's from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And I said, is that in my Bible? That, that's how much I knew. Right, right. And so she read it, and she asked, who does that sound like? And I said, well, it sounds like Jesus. What's he doing in my Bible? And so, you know, I, I began to question them over some things. And, you know, I didn't know what to do. I said, you know, if, if you believe this, what does that make me? You know, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of was starting to feel like an orphan. And, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it, it was just really confusing so I began to do my own personal investigation, you know, and, and they said, listen, there's this guy who is, has a little Jewish Bible study, his little Jewish ministry, it was called Shalom Scripture Studies, uh, and you need to talk to him. He was a Jewish believer. He had his doctorate from who, seminary. Who, who, told, uh, who told you that? Who told you that you need to see him? Your parents? 
Yeah, my parents. Okay, all right. Oh, okay. That you need to talk to this because they had exhausted everything they knew in about ten minutes. Uh -huh. You know, and <laughs> so the uh, interesting thing is, his his little ministry was just down the street from where I worked, and. I was working out in the field at the time, and so my time was pretty much my own. And I would go down there, and I would drop in, you know, just about every day, because I figured I, you know, I would argue with him and debate with him over this. Mm. And I figured, well, I'm a college graduate, and I'll have him straightened out and twisted into a pretzel in no time at all. <laughs> and uh, after just a couple of months of spending time with him and studying the scriptures and going back and forth. Uh, and looking at, you know, a number of different prophecies, and especially Isaiah 53 and others, you know, uh, he had me tied up in a pretzel. Um, you know, and, uh, it appeared that if anyone was going to be the, the Messiah, the promised Jewish Messiah, it would have to be Yeshua. And so uh, I was sitting with him, and we were we were going back and forth. It was July 25th, 1975, and he asked me, you know, do you want to accept the Lord? And I remember saying to him, you know, why? To make you happy? Um, you know, what do you need, a, another notch on your belt or something? Mm, yeah. And uh, we, we argued a little bit more, and uh, I, I told him, I said, I don't know if I believe all of this stuff. And he said, accept him now. You'll believe later. Wow. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, i got to write that down. I got, uh, wait a minute. i got to write that down. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's not exactly the, the path of evangelism I would recommend. <laughs> uh, but I did. I, I accepted him. I became a believer and uh, or, you know, announced myself in that prayer as as a believer. Mm. I, I, I didn't really know what I was getting into, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, and I was approaching all of this as uh, kind of like an investigation, getting, uh, you know, historical and legal information, you know, to mm. to see if there was enough evidence uh, in this case to, to reach a verdict. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would have to say I, I was convinced of the truth before I was convicted of my sin. And wow. uh, after looking at everything as, as well as I could, you know, if it, if it was true, then I would have to say I had to believe it. And so I, I believed it, but it, there wasn't this sense of, of, oh God, forgive me, and all of, all of that, that I'm a great sinner. And, you know, I, that didn't come till much later. Um, Ron, I, I, got, I got to interrupt you. Ron, that is... God bless you. I like that, Ron. I, I just, I, I like that because it was, you came, you, you were just being honest and you were, yeah. um, uh, you were being honest before the Lord. You were going in the right direction. You didn't have it all sorted out completely, but you were willing, um, uh, you were willing to, to, to start rethinking correctly. Um, God bless you for that. That, that's a, that has to be a blessing to any listener. Um, so anyway, I just had to say that. I had to get that in there. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Well, and, you know, it, it was the kind of a thing where, you know, it looked like there there aren't any other options. I mean, I had run everything through to a dead end, and, uh, you know, so I 
I declared my belief in him without having, you know, the full panorama of who he was. And of course, I don't know that we ever get the full panorama, but as as we grow in our sanctification and understanding, uh, we we get more and more. Uh, but I don't think we ever really plumb the depths of who God is and who the Lord is. But at any rate, uh, you know, I accepted him uh, through this Hebrew Christian ministry. And, you know, I, I, I got to say, in, in the mid-1970s, there really wasn't uh, a messianic movement per se. I mean, it hadn't really taken off. Uh, so w- what we really had at that time was Hebrew Christian fellowships, which were kind of uh, para-church fellowships mm. that we we all all of us jews met on the side mm. and uh you know we we ate our pickled herring and uh, chopped liver and <laughs> which nobody else liked uh, and uh, the only place we could get it and while the and, christians uh, were having hot dogs and uh whatever uh okay i get it i get it wow yeah so uh you know so i and that was uh some 42 years ago but I, you know, it was about a year after I had become a believer that in, in the course of my work and being out there in the public, I, I met another Gentile couple of Christians, you know, who were real Christian believers. And uh, we were talking a little bit about about the Lord. And, of course, the only thing I had Jewish in my connection was this Hebrew Christian ministry. And they said, well, have you have you heard about this uh, Messianic uh, synagogue? And I said, no, what are you talking about? I, you know, I, I almost thought that there were only five of us who believed in Yeshua in, in the whole world who were Jewish. And they told me about this congregation, which was out in the valley, which from where I was, it was about 45 miles away. Wow. And uh, it, it was called uh, Temple Beth Emanuel. And uh, it, it was run by uh, a fella uh, named Ray Gannon, who... Uh, I, I got to become friends with, and uh, it was a messianic synagogue, and it and it, had, it it wasn't anything like a church. It was like I was stepping back into all of my, yep. you know, all of, all of my Jewishness here again, you know. And uh, they had an Ark of the Covenant and a Torah in it, and they and they sang songs that were familiar to me, Hebrew songs, but they also sang a lot of the other, you know, kind of like back then the Maranatha songs that I had become familiar with. I think Howard and, Bill would know about that. I, oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I would. Yes, that was, that, was, uh, that was the Jesus movement in the early yeah, 70s. Yeah, in the Calvary and, Chapel and Chuck yeah, Smith. Yeah. And, uh, really big yeah, out in California. Course, yeah, and, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where Chuck Smith was, was, you know, only 20 minutes from where I lived. Oh. And so I started going there on Sunday nights. He used to teach through the Bible, used to take on like 10 chapters a time at a time. And they would sing and Chuck would just lead the singing a cappella, no instruments or anything. Uh, I had tried going there uh, a couple of times on Sunday morning, but I just didn't do it for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, I was too young of a believer and, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to sort out who I am, but I could handle Sunday night. And he he was so pro-Israel and so pro-Jewish, and uh, you know, loved the Jewish people. And I was getting a lot of teaching, and so you know, I did that. And then I went uh, I went to the Messianic synagogue uh, all the way out there in the valley. We had an Arab Shabbat uh, service on Friday night, 
and we had a uh, a Yom Rishon service service on Sunday morning, um, and so that's uh, that's what they did. Yom Rishon is first day of the week, and so uh, that's uh, that's how they met. And uh, there was probably about three hundred people in that congregation. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, it was just booming. Whoa, I mean, it wasn't the whoa. little thing at all. In fact, there were older Jewish people around there in the valley. The valley is a very Jewish area, and they they didn't drive. They couldn't drive. So, you know, we went out in vans and picked them up and brought them in. And they just had a great time singing and worshiping and uh, and studying under the word, you know. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, that's what happened some 40 one forty-two years ago, and uh, you know, I have been in Messianic Jewish ministry ever since. Uh, I've I've been a part of a team that uh, we actually started two Messianic congregations, and I served as an elder and part of the leadership in both of those. Uh, I also served as an elder and leader in a mess in another Messianic congregation, uh, where I was in a position of teaching and equipping uh, for the purpose of growing strong healthy believers who are able to engage Jewish people with the truth of, you know, the Messiahship of Jesus, Yeshua, in a way that makes sense to Jews. And uh, I, I was doing it 40 years ago, and I'm still doing it today. Um, any Anybody who will let me. <laughs> Ron, God, God bless you. I, I'm so encouraged. Um, now we talked earlier, and I, I just, I'm just blown away at... Uh, at what the Lord has done in and through people and the Jewish people and me. I'm just, yeah. I'm just blown away. I really am. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so it's, I started on a, on a, on a path that I never intended to start on. I wasn't even interested in any of that. In fact, I, I had a friend, one of my best friends I graduated from college with, um, his name was Sammy. And, uh, he lived in an apartment right across from where my wife and I lived, and uh, and we became really good friends. He was Catholic and not a believer, and I was Jewish and not a believer. <laughs> and uh, he used to say to me things like, Ronnie, why don't you believe in Jesus? You know, he's your Messiah. And, you know, I'd say, yeah, get out of here, Sam. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, then when I became a believer— I went to Sam and I said, listen, I got to tell you something. You're never going to believe this. And I, uh, I said, I became a believer. I accepted Jesus. And there was like no response from him, you know? And, uh, when he did respond, he said, yeah, well, what about the church? And I said, what do you mean? What about the church? He said, what about the Holy Roman Catholic church? And I said, what are you talking to me about the Holy Roman Catholic church? I'm talking to you about Jesus. You know, and uh, I could tell, uh oh, Sammy's not a believer. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, he, he knew more about Jesus than I knew, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't. Uh, it was more you know, about the church than Jesus. Yeah. And, and so we had a little tension there for a couple of years until his wife, who's also Italian Catholic, became a believer and then sammy who's italian catholic became a believer and uh they are very strong believers now they love the lord uh they they love things jewish when i when i had my hubara here house in midweek 
uh, Bible studies, they used to drive 50 miles to come here wow. uh, middle of the week to come to the Bible study. Very Jewish in their in their understanding of everything, and so that's just one of those things that uh, you know that happened, you know, in in the course of time of uh, people coming together, you know, and how. You know, Jews and cat, Jews and Italians seem to get along. At least that was my experience. Uh, you know what, Italian. I, I, Ron, there is a lot of truth to that. I think, in my experience, also, I, yeah. I don't. You know, when you think about it, and you think about what happened two thousand years ago, and what uh-huh. the Romans did to the Jewish people, and yeah. somehow today. The Roman world, at least from my experience, loves the Jewish people. At least I yeah. do. At least I do. It's just really well. It's and just you know we, yeah, we both had that old world Europe connection, and you know, he had his, uh, you know, he had his crucifix in the Catholic <laughs> Church up there, the big cross with Jesus on it, <laughs> and I had my Ark of the Covenant with the Torah in it, and. Uh, our rabbi wore a yarmulke, and their priest wore a yarmulke, and they had candles all over the place, and we liked to light candles, and we had all of these things, you know, kind of culturally, you know, not the same, but in common, and yep. so it was enough to where we, uh, you know, we, we connected on a lot of these things, the, you know, the, the mentality that came from that old world yeah. just kind of invaded us, and uh you know, we, we became really good friends, and we're still 45 years later, we're still best friends. That's awesome. And, uh, amazing. Yeah. It really and, is and amazing. It, it, it really is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and you, you should be able to help in, in this, not only in the spiritual level, but also in the psychological level. Um, what we hear a lot of, uh, obviously is you know um the the fear of receiving jesus that if if someone receives jesus if you're jewish and receive jesus you run the risk of persecution and and uh, you know being called a traitor and so forth um this is this is kind of a uh i don't know if it's a if it's a corny question or not but hopefully it, if there's a, a jewish person listening Somehow, what kind of encouraging words can you can you offer to the Jewish seeker that might sense that Jesus just Jesus might be the one, but in the back of their mind they're wrestling with you know uh, family rejection and community rejection and the whole thing. Um, what what kind of encouraging words can you just kind of offer? Yeah, well, you know, they're all of those things are true uh you know and and you know jewish people at least you know my generation or close to my generation you know there is such a connection that we grew up with jewishness that we uh, are concerned about losing that or and that happens and i had a certain amount of that uh you know from my wife's side of the family who were you know very jewish you know didn't didn't know a lot but they were very jewish uh, you know my father-in-law was the president of the synagogue and uh, oh, wow. all that and so they you know they they were not thrilled with the fact that we had become believers and um and, but you know 
the, the fact of the matter is, in sharing Yeshua, Jesus, with the Jewish people, um, we, we Jews have that as, you know, a passion in front of us that uh, because we know the difficulty and the history that has gone mm. before, the things that we, you know, reasons we didn't believe, um, you know, and, um, you know, many Gentiles uh, who are believers are not aware of those things. And uh, nevertheless, the, the Jewish people need to have a, you know, a credible gospel uh, presented to them, you know, and sometimes, well, I'd say a lot of times, uh, Gentile believers, if they have the understanding and the sensitivity are more effective in witnessing to Jewish people than we Jews are. I'm, hear um, I'm hearing that more and more, Ron. I'm hearing it more and more. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm sorry for interrupting. I, I just I'm giving you an amen on that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason is, is because, you know, as Christians, uh, you're just being who you're supposed to be. <laughs> uh, but where I'm concerned, uh, you know, I'm considered a mashumad or a traitor. And so the gospel coming from me uh, is not received as easily as maybe it would be from a Gentile believer who knows how to present the right things, you know, to a, a Jewish person to give a uh, testimony and a, and a witness to them concerning the messiahship of their, of their messiah. Um, you know, so I think that that is something that's really important because the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, if the gospel is not for the Jewish people, then it's not for anybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if Jesus is, if he's not the Messiah of Israel, then mm. he's not the savior of the world. That is right. a good word. To the Jew first. and then that, is a, that is a very good word. You know, yeah. I, I'm listening and I'm, I'm thinking, um, I don't know the, the, the verse in, uh, uh, that, that talks about um, Israel being a nation of priests, right? Yeah, and, yeah that's and, in uh, Peter. What's that? I think that was in First Peter. Are you referring actually, to Peter? I, actually, I, it, it, it's an Old Testament. Um, it's an Old Testament. Yeah, okay, in Exodus, I think maybe also. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that priestly function, you as a believer are fulfilling or completing that function uh, as being a part of the priestly nation by telling the Gentile world that Jesus is your Messiah and that the Gentiles also can, can partake in that, uh, in that gift. And, right. and in your, in your, um, in the, as a, as a Jewish person, fulfilling your, your priestly function, me as a Gentile, I'm, I'm being blessed by that. I'm being trained, right? and taught and i've got this i've i've got i've got the blessing of good instruction and the scriptures and the whole thing and now i've got that and now i can turn right around and give back 
to the Jewish people um, with proper training and instruction and a credible gospel uh, using yeah. your, your yeah. using your words. That yeah. is, uh, it's amazing how that works. Things come full circle. Uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm just blown away by that. Howard, you want to say something? Well, you also have to have a Jesus made me kosher T-shirt. Oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's at the top oh, yeah. of the list. I've got I, I've got one of those, and I've got an Isaiah 53. Well, you're all set. Yeah. I'm, I'm all, all set. You, that's all you need. Uh, Ron, yeah. I, I have a, a question for you. Back in the yeah. 70s, uh, many of us read uh, Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. Oh, yeah. In fact, Bill and I are kind of like prophetic nutballs here. And yeah. uh, read that, read Salem Kerbin. Um, uh-huh. How much – well, let me just wait one more comment. I am reading today that many non-Messianic rabbis are starting to recognize that these signs are definitely out there, the prophetic signs. How much does prophecy affect – uh, non-Messianic Jews today, or at all? Do you see anything that? Well, you know, I think I think the value of prophecy is tremendous. Uh, you know, I was immersed in Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, I read a lot of stuff by Zola Levitt back in that time, as well. Uh, he was a, a Jewish believer. He was out of Dallas Seminary. Um, he's with the Lord now, um, but uh, prophecy is you know, indispensable. It's, uh, you know, everybody wants to know something about what's going to be happening in the future. And, uh, and the curiosity is good. And that's, uh, you know, and that's, and that's a good thing that I think ultimately the intent of, of prophecy, once you understand what God is speaking to you and how he is sovereign over all of these, you know, events and things that are taking place in the world and in life, uh, that prophecy should have the effect of changing your life. Uh, how, how do we live then in consideration of these things? And, uh, you know, the, the prophetic scriptures for me concerning who the Messiah was, I mean, I had to, I had to prove to myself that there couldn't be anybody else that this had, this Jesus had to be the one, if they're claiming he's the one, uh, he had to be the one. And, uh, you know, if, if Jewish people or any people for that matter can be saved apart from knowing Yeshua as Lord, then his death on a cross was in vain. And so the prophetic scripture in terms of, you know, Jewish evangelism is one, one of the greatest things that we can bring you know, to Jewish people. And, you know, as Paul said, uh, salvation has come unto the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Um, The Gentiles have been grafted into this Jewish tree. And, you know, Paul, Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, said, I magnify my office. In other words, he magnified his office because he knew what a huge, great army he had of Gentiles. Mm, wow. I mean, that there are more Gentiles in the world than there are Jews. Wow. And if he can get this army mobilized to reach out to Jewish people, you know, in a Jewish context, and of course in the first century, uh, all, all you had to do was extricate them from their paganism and bring them into 
a, a Jewish understanding, you know, of of who God is and not all of these other gods out there. You know, I mean, that's what it is. when I think of Paul walking into Athens and you have all of these monuments uh, standing there for all of the Greek gods that they have. And then just to make sure that none of the gods feelings are hurt and anybody got left out, they have one at the end that it says to the unknown God. Mm. And Paul says, this is the one I want to talk to you about. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just, uh, I was just saying, so he, you know, he had this sense that uh, because the Gentiles just occur more frequently in the culture and in society than Jewish people do, that if they can bring this message and provoke his people to jealousy, you know, what a, what a great army he has. And so we're kind of doing the same thing today. You know, we're still, we're still doing this. You know, I, I was just thinking about uh, when Jesus said um, in the passage where he talks about, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. You know, yeah. the the body of Messiah now obviously is, is, is includes Jews and Gentiles, but primarily Gentiles. Now right. the Gentile, uh, because it's such a big part of the church today, has a has a great opportunity to uh, to gather <laughs> uh, to help not help but to play its part in what Jesus always wanted to do in Jerusalem yeah. Jerusalem how I long to gather you now is the body of of Jesus the body of Messiah where uh, we meaning the, the primarily the Gentile part if it done correctly done correctly and appropriately we can we can give back what what we received it's amazing yeah it's yeah. amazing well, and, uh, yeah and you know he he wept over jerusalem because of their rejection and and their unbelief and you know if you if you look at the gospel of matthew you know from chapter 4 to chapter 12 there are just miracles that are running rampant throughout the land and the purpose of the miracles was to authenticate his messiahship and bring to the people, the Jewish people, because that's who he was coming to, um, that he is the one, he's the messiah. You know, uh, you know, he even told his disciples when he sent them out, he said, don't go to the Gentiles, don't even go to the Samaritans who are half Jewish, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> and so, you know, there was a purpose in all of those things. And sadly, when they finally concluded that the miracles and the things that he did were, you know, through the power of Satan, hmm. um, and they rejected him at that point as, as Messiah. They only had one of two choices, and the people were wanting him to be the Messiah, you know, this is the Messiah. We, we, we think this is the Messiah. And they left it, though, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders to decide. And they could only choose one way or the other. Either he is or he isn't. Mm. And it came about that, uh, that, you know, he, you know, they said that he was not. And he, and he wept over, over Jerusalem. And he said, you know, all the prophets that are sent to you and everyone who's sent to you that, uh, you, you kill and you stone to death and you, you didn't know 
the time of your visitation, mm. you know, in other you words, know, you, yeah, I, I think what he meant was you didn't know Daniel. You should have known mm. this particular time. And, you know, you didn't you didn't know everything that has been taking place in this three years of ministry in which he has been healing and doing miracles and showing himself to be, you know, the only one who could do these things was God. And in in Matthew 23, he just brings a blistering you know, uh, maldiction uh, against the Jewish leadership. And, uh, you know, I got it here in, in my scriptures. Behold, I sent you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them shall you kill and crucify, and some of them uh, shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that upon you come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, the blood of Abel, the righteous, unto the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berchiah. What's interesting about that is he names Abel and he names Zechariah, the son of Berchiah. And if you know how the Hebrew Bible is laid out, he's quoting, as he's naming Abel, he's quoting from Genesis, and he, as he names Zechariah, the son of Berchiah, he's quoting from Second Chronicles. And the Hebrew scriptures are laid out from Genesis to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures, and he so he's saying that you have rejected everybody, all of the prophets, everyone from beginning to end. It's like us saying from Genesis to Revelation. He's saying from Abel to Zechariah, from Genesis to Second Chronicles, all of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is what you've done. It's amazing. It sure amazing. Is. I, I don't want to uh, uh, I don't want to forget this, but uh, Howard mentioned um, a prophecy, and um, um, the 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 concept of a kingdom. Yeah. Is uh, it's it's throughout the Hebrew Scriptures that that the concept of a kingdom, a, 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 a messianic kingdom, and as as believers in Yeshua now. We have expectations of this kingdom here on earth uh, ultimately is going to occur. So we know what's coming from that standpoint. Uh, the, the Jewish people understand the concept of a kingdom. Uh, and what I'm getting to is how can you build a connection between prophecy concerning the kingdom to come and uh, helping a Jewish person understand that hey that kingdom that was expected um it's coming and the evidence or the the proof of that or the foundation of it was the first coming of jesus can you make that yeah. connection where yeah. uh it was it was expected you know at the time jesus came but then he was crucified and that just kind of messed everything up can you kind of bring all that together and help maybe a jewish listener understand that hey look even us christians we're expecting the kingdom um, and uh, um, it's it's yet to come. There's no reason to lose hope. And can you kind of yeah. bring all that together? Well, the you know the idea of the kingdom is uh, obviously for for the Jewish people, especially in the first century. <clears throat> Most of them, <clears throat> I think, would have been steeped in the understanding of the expectation of the kingdom of God coming and uh, you know the 
the Pharisees, I think, the, the religious leaders of the day, uh, would, would be held accountable not only for their rejection of the Messiahship of Yeshua, you know, but also for leading the nation to the same rejection as well. Mm. And uh, that in itself is an important factor that we have to note for the later understanding of what the basis for the second coming will be and the understanding of that. You know, after uh, <clears throat> after Yeshua did his, you know, all of those miracles for three years from chapter 4 to chapter 12, <clears throat> and then in chapter 12, you know, he is his messiahship is rejected. Uh, but even then, the, the leaders said, can you show us another sign? They wanted yet another sign. Mm. And he said there won't be any sign given except the sign of Jonah, the prophet, for as Jonah was three days in the earth, so the Son of Man will be three days, Messiah will be three days in the earth, and he'll be raised. <clears throat> and the first sign of Jonah was the resurrection of Lazarus. I'm, you know what, Ron? Right now I'm going to explode. I, Ron, I just read this in Dr. Fruchtenbaum's book uh, just the other uh, day. The the three... <laughs> I, I, Ron, I just read it. I never... I never made that connection with the sign of Jonah. I, Ron, it yeah. was 48 hours ago I read that. Um, yeah. The, the three, it, I couldn't contain myself. I had to interrupt you. But I, yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Ron. Go, go ahead. Well, it, yeah, it's, it, it's amazing because the, you know, the, the, the sign that he was leaving them with since they had rejected everything else uh, was, the, was the sign of resurrection. And the first sign was that of Lazarus and if you read through that section in, in John 11, he goes to uh, conclusion that he did this so that the many of the people would know. And uh, and then the second sign of resurrection was his own resurrection. And, <clears throat> of course, the, the third sign will be future, the resurrection of the two witnesses, I believe. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. During the tribulation. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that that that's exactly right. Uh, that is, that is amazing, and that yeah. and that's, Ron. I just read this. I just read about the two, the two witnesses, and yeah. that the resurrection of the two witnesses, is obviously it's going to be seen around the world. People are going to see it and understand it and go, oh my, there there it is. Yeah. There, yeah, there, yeah. There it is. and they'll and they'll believe. I think after that, and you know, the Lord is going to, you know, be, you know, preparing a remnant of among the Jews, uh, who He will save out of that. One third of the nation, two thirds will be lost. One third was lost in World War II during the Holocaust. Mm. Uh, here, two thirds will be lost during the the Great Tribulation, <clears throat> but the. Uh, you know, the the thing is, is that he came the first time, and when he came the first time, uh, you know, what is so interesting to me is that the Jewish people, including the disciples, and the disciples were not just ignorant fishermen, and, you know, when they, when, they, uh, when I was in Israel uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I got to teach uh, up in the area of Chorazin, uh, which is up in the northern part of Galilee, and uh, you can see the remains of the community that's there, and you can see the synagogue that is still there. And uh, 
you know, what's interesting is when, when these little kids grew up, the synagogue was uh, the, the center of life, of worship, of teaching, of learning. It was their school. And uh, they would go to school there. It was called Beit Sefer. And they would attend school there. And after Beit Sefer, they would graduate and go up to Beit Midrash. And uh, if they were going to go to Beit Talmudim, that was like going to college or something. Not all of them did. They may say, okay, I've, I've had enough. I'm going to go and fish, and that's how I'm going to make my living. Hmm. But what they would do, if they were going to go ahead into like advanced studies, they would find a rabbi that they could follow. And they would say, can I follow you? Can I... Can I learn from you? Because I want to be just like you. And so what they would do is they, if the rabbi took them on, they would spend, you know, a couple of years, two, three years, four years with the rabbi learning to be just like that rabbi. Well, Yeshua did it just the opposite. He went to these guys who knew something already and said, come and follow me. Hmm. He chose them and he said, you follow oh, me. Wow. I'm going to make you just like me. <laughs> wow. And so yeah. the disciples had they had a Jewish eschatology of their own and they they knew scripture and they knew what to expect of the coming kingdom. And so I think as they spent three and a half years with Yeshua, you know, just before the time of the crucifixion at the time of that last Passover and they were walking up to the Mount of Olives, they had those questions for him you know as he was talking about no stone will be left you know unturned and this this whole thing this whole temple that you're admiring is going to be destroyed and they want to know from him well when are these things going to happen what is going to be the sign of your coming and what's going to be the sign of the end of the age and they asked the question in that order one two three he answered it three one two he answered first what the sign of the end of the age was going to be, and then the destruction of Jerusalem, and then the sign of his coming. But they had their eschatological, Jewish eschatological concept of what is supposed to take place when the Messiah comes. He is supposed to uh, rid Israel of its enemies, reestablish the theocracy, uh, reestablish uh, the temple. The Messiah is supposed to then ascend the throne of his, uh, his father, David. And when they're asking him, what is going to be the sign of your coming? They're really saying, what is going to be the sign of your parousia? In other words, when are you, because we know you're the Messiah, mm. when are you mm. going to ascend the throne? Mm. You know, Because they felt they had the Messiah there. I mean, they're asking him, when is it going to be? Is it going to be like Tuesday? Wow. And Wow. That's what their expectation was, and the entire Olivet Discourse is to say to them, it's not going to be now, it's not going to be for a long time, because the nation, mm. the leadership in the nation, had rejected his messiahship. <sighs> and so we're, we're waiting for his return, and we've, we have seen, I believe, we have seen the beginnings of the signs of the beginnings of the end of the age when remember i said that was that was their third question but it was the question he answered first mm -hmm. the sign of the end of the age when nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom in fact it even says that the rabbis even refer to that in the talmud as when you see this happening 
beware that it's going to be accompanied by the footsteps of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, are asking that question, and he goes through the whole, you know, uh, eschatological program. That, I think, was the beginning of the end of the age. I think that uh, the state of Israel coming back into being was was another of the birth pangs. I think that the that Jerusalem coming back under Jewish control was another. Even though it's not specifically saying so in Scripture, these things we can see are heading toward the Messianic era kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the next thing that is probably in line for what needs to take place prior to the tribulation is the northern invasion. Hmm. Um, and so that's prophetically kind of what I'm looking at. And there are a number of other things. And, you know, I would refer you to Arnold's book, uh, on eschatology, uh, the footsteps of the Messiah. Uh, he lays all of that out really well. There are like nine pre-tribulational events that, uh, he lays out that believes must take place before the tribulation. But I think before the tribulation, those of us who are believers will be, will be raptured out of here. You know, uh, uh, we we have footsteps of the Messiah. We've got it in hard copy. I have oh. it on Kindle. Incredible, awesome book. Dr. Fruchtenbaum is incredible. And may God yeah. bless him. He has yeah. been um, he has just really been an incredible blessing to me. I, I'm just I'm just amazed by this. I want to ask you something, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, this, you said something earlier, and I wrote it down. I, I don't want to look through my notes right now, but it had something to do with, oh, yeah, your your um, Messianic uh, rabbi that had challenged you, except now, and um, you'll believe later. Just the other night, um, we were interviewing somebody, and I said, there's a common expression that don't, you know, um, uh, you don't need to see to believe. If you believe, you'll see. It's kind of the same same sort of logic. Um, yeah. So with, um, I'm, my heart right now is uh, uh, very much wanting uh, to, to bring Jewish people to faith. So yeah. we're, we're, um, we're, we're we, we've talked about the first coming and we've talked a little bit about the second coming and prophecy and so forth. And what's interesting is is how we systematically think things these things through. We kind of want to put the cart before the horse and so forth. But the most important thing, the most important thing, and I remember this when I was in Brooklyn, is the idea that since the temple is gone, how does a person atone for their sins? And I know that yeah. you know the rabbis came up with some you know different ways of uh, dealing with that. But the reality is, is that there's no way to atone for sins except by the blood of Jesus. And we have that right. in Isaiah 53. And right. the fact that Isaiah 53 is not uh, read in the synagogues today, I I, I have to ask you, uh, and e even announce that we we got to get this on record that Isaiah 53 is for the Jewish people. And uh, um, it's 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 there. Um, so if you're a Jewish listener, uh, 
or, or even a Gentile listener, uh, check out Isaiah 53. It deals with the most important things, and that is uh, the fact that we're all sinners and that uh, this suffering servant died for us, uh, yeah. for the Jew first and for the Gentile. And if you can, if you, if you're listening and you can um, uh, believe that, then you'll see. Uh, you don't need to see it to believe it. Just simply believe it, and then you'll see. Just like uh, that, like you were challenged, Ron. I just, um, uh, I, I just, it's it just amazing to me all these things that are happening and all the different angles that uh, can be approached to to just worship the Lord is is awesome. Just just awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you one other thing, and that and that is when we were in Brooklyn last year. And if I heard this correctly, the topic of the resurrection is being more seriously considered in the in the Orthodox community. They're kind of looking at that. Um, is that did I hear that right? Did uh, am I dreaming, or what's happening there? Well, I I don't know that uh, that the topic of the resurrection is is really. I don't know what uh, is taking place with that. I know that a lot of Jewish people, including some rabbis, uh, are looking at Jesus and kind of taking him back, saying, you know, listen, he's really one of ours. He's not God, but he's one of ours. Mm. You know? And so, you know, it's it's kind of an, an openness to bring him back in as one of our kinsmen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know the uh, the I- idea of the resurrection and that I I was I was in Brooklyn this just a couple of months ago, and I, I got to spend some time in the ultra orthodox community this year. <clears throat> we we were working doing uh, a lot of uh, really not so much evangelistic uh, in this particular part of the neighborhood, but uh, more trying to gather data on what the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people believe, uh, you know, what their, what their sense is, how, how they responded to questions concerning Jesus. And so I, I was in Borough Park part of the time, and I was in Crown Heights uh, right, right there in front of Lubavitch uh, headquarters and uh, got to talk to a lot of, uh, a lot of Jewish people. And, uh, you know, most of everybody I talked to um, didn't didn't have a regard for, you know, Jesus as say, uh, you know, a, as a, a prophet or anything more than that. A lot of them still believe that, uh, you know, he he created a lot of trouble, you know, for the Jewish people for Israel. Uh, so I I'm not sure about this, but uh, <clears throat> I know I know that we have some guys there. In Brooklyn, working on apologetics and talking to uh, some of the Jewish leaders and rabbis there, and having conversations over uh, a lot of things, which really focus in on the present-day rabbinic concept, historical concept of the Messiah, compared to the the older historical concept of the Messiah. And those two views of Messiah don't necessarily agree. They disagree on a lot of points, and that's what our 
uh, apologist uh, experts that are working on this in Brooklyn are, are doing and actually meeting and talking with uh, with some of the, the rabbis and Jewish leaders and laying out that idea of, you know, what has been done to Judaism and the whole belief system and where do you get it from? Hmm. And so it's, hmm. you know, it's as, uh, as they say, uh, going to be a 10, 20 year project. Um, wow. wow. You know, if the Lord doesn't come back first. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ron. Um, two questions for you. Uh, number one, what can we as Gentile believers uh, do to be more visible to Jews, to reach out to the Jews, and then secondly, if someone wants to contact you, uh, you know, a website, phone number, whatever. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, well, that you know, they can contact me um, through uh, through my email, uh, which uh, uh, my chosen people uh, email is uh, rdavis at chosenpeople dot com. And so they, you know, they they can write to me. They can they can call me on my cell phone. Um, I'd be glad to uh, go out and, and speak and spend time, you know, with uh, anyone who is interested in their churches and sharing some of some of this information. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that, uh, you know, just just as we were talking earlier about Paul, you know, the the Gentile Christian community can be a formidable force in bringing uh, a gospel to Jewish people in a way that they can understand it, you know, if, if we can have some time together and, and talk about these things, uh, because they, they don't have their own separate covenant and, and way to God. You know, one of the, uh, one of the watchwords within uh, Judaism is all of Israel has a share in the world to come, but that's not true. And so, you know, we need to, uh, we need to be able to be bold and, uh, you know, and step out and share scripture. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there is a Gentile great commission. That's a little different <laughs> than the, the one in, in Matthew 28, <clears throat> but I think it's the one in uh, Romans 11. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah. you know, the question is how is it that we provoke them to jealousy? You know, Jewish people have been provoked to a lot of things, but not jealousy. And, uh, you know, we've we've got the tools and people, and I think the mindset, if we can, you know, lock some of that stuff in to reach out to the Jewish people. In fact, you know what, Ron, you just reminded me of something. <clears throat> I think it's right there in that same pack, passage where uh, Paul rhetorically asked the question, how will they know unless they hear and how will they hear unless it's preached to them, something like that. I think it's right yeah. there. That, that's uh, that that concept is specific in context to, to the Jewish people. I, I want to ask you something here, and it's, it's meant to have a healing effect, and that is uh, Luther was very, uh, he loved the Jewish people um, in, incredibly, and then 20-some years later, he flip-flopped. And, yeah. and obviously that has left a, a mark and a lot of damage and I, I don't know that much about the history. I just know that happened. But yeah. the, the question is, is that 
um, why why would that happen? And here's here's where I'm going with this. I have a friend. I love him, and he's been a believer for a long period of time. And we've talked about sharing Jesus with the Jewish people, and he knows Scripture, and he is uh, uh, he loves the Lord, and uh, he loves the Jewish people. And we had a discussion. Well, why 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 isn't it happening? Why are you not doing it? And he humbly and he humbled himself before God and me. And he, he just, it was very human. He said, he said, I, I'm intimidated. And uh, uh, that was, um, that was a honest, humble statement from someone who is theologically pretty much, he knows his stuff. And his humanity was, it was, I, I'm intimidated. So I'm thinking, yeah. you know, you take, you take a look at Luther flip-flopping. And my friend who uh, honestly said that he was intimidated and you wonder, and this is where the psychology comes in, is that with with Luther and I don't know what happened. I'm just speculating here, but tell me if I'm wrong. But Luther may have had a heart for the Jewish people and uh, he got beat up, let's just say. And um, uh, he didn't know he, he didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know how to handle the rejection. Yeah. He and, didn't, they, they didn't convert as he thought they should or how he wanted them to and they were resistant to everything that he was saying and uh he took it personally he got frustrated with it and he and he took it personally i i don't know i don't know the history but i'm just trying to find out how somebody could flip-flop like that someone who 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 made it clear that um we're saved by grace through faith and great impact on the church love the jewish people and then something happened and uh, yeah. I'm just trying to understand the, the psychology and the humanity there. It's got to be, uh, obviously, some uh, deceptive, demonic uh, influence on him. But um, he probably just didn't, um, uh, he just couldn't handle the rejection. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he flipped out. So yeah. here we are uh, today, us Gentiles, um, one that I know humbled himself and said that he was intimidated. And, um, uh, and in that particular situation, uh, the evil one starts winning out. And, uh, I think, um, uh, I don't know if I'm preaching or anything here, but I think we've got to, I just, I think we've got to learn to not take it personal. And I will give credit to Rabbi Glenn Harris, um, who was the first Messianic Jew that spent time with me here in uh, Metro Detroit and uh, has really reminded us that uh, we just can't take it personal. It's, it's really, yeah. uh, we got to set that aside. It's hard to do, yeah. but we got, well, we got to learn to set it, it aside. Everything I've read about Luther, uh, I don't know that anybody uh, has been able to come to any clear uh, and, uh, you know, definitive reasons why he did what he did. I mean, what he did was not good. Uh, that's for sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <clears throat> who, who knows? I, I know that, uh, you know, the even even the one who came after him, Calvin, uh, you know, uh, and his vision of the city of God in Geneva, you know, before Calvin got there, the Jews had been expelled from Geneva for 50 years. And in all of the time that Calvin and all of the things he wrote, um, Jewish people were still not able to come into Geneva to do business without paying a tax or a fee. And 
that wasn't lifted until 200 years after Calvin died. Wow. Yeah, and so, you know, when, when you get on a wrong track, boy, it's hard mm. to get the train back on the right track, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. But I think, I think that, uh, you know, if if Gentiles can, you know, I have a friend who. Uh, spoke in a synagogue he was a gentile believer and the first thing when he got up to speak was he said you know i i can't apologize for all of christianity but i want you to know the love that i have for the jewish people and for the state of israel and for the scriptures that you people have preserved and i'm sorry for all of the things that have happened (laughs) and uh you know it it took the place down a whole couple of notches and he was received differently and i think you and i saw that uh, that year we were in brooklyn together when uh, a, a couple of the gals uh, approached when they were talking to jewish people approached the topic of saying you know we're so sorry for mm-hmm. what uh, has happened you know historically between the church and the jewish people and uh and, and I think those kinds of things go a long way. And I think in terms of, you know, getting out there with the word, you're getting out there with the prophetic word, with uh, how to reach pe- Jewish people evangelistically, you know, tell your story. Uh, tell mm. how God worked in your heart. Mm. And, you know, give your testimony how you finally came to faith in Yeshua, in the Messiah, and understanding that He's the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah of Israel. And where do I as a Gentile fit into that? Mm. And, uh, you know, learn proper terminology, I think, and and write verses to use. And if you use these verses, you know, with with our people. Credible gospel. And they're honest and they're open in their heart. They'll come to faith, I believe, in Yeshua. I receive that. Those are good words. Amen. Those are good words. There's no way that I could not amen that. No, yeah. no, no way. Um, gosh, I, I could, I, I could sit here all night and just do, do the, I really could. I, I, I could do this all night. Um, uh, Ron, can you, uh, um, just maybe close with, um, uh, maybe an appeal to the Jewish people, uh, and, uh, and whatever that appeal is, I am amening that. So I'm not going to just put this on you. I'm uh, I, I I'm with you in this in, in this appeal. So um, uh, can you just maybe share a couple words, and um, yeah. I'm going to give you an amen in advance. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I would say to you know my own Jewish people that you can believe in Yeshua, Jesus, that He is the Messiah. And you don't stop being Jewish once you believe in it. It's the most Jewish thing you can do. And if you look through your scriptures and ask God to show Ron, you, Ron, can you believe this? Is. Ron, can you believe this? Can you yeah. believe the echo right at the time you're making this appeal? The echo yeah. starts. Just yeah. all right, wait a minute. Let's just hold on a second. All right, talk, Ron. Let's see if you have an echo. Okay, you can hear it. No echo. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, it's starting I'm again. Hearing an echo. All right, just hold on a second. I may have to hang up and then uh, call you. <laughs> um, let's just see what happens. Go ahead and talk. Let's see if you have it. Okay, you have an echo? Yeah, yeah. got a little bit. 
All right, hang up. I'm going to call you in five seconds. Hang up. I'll call you in five seconds. Okay. Uh, how how is it going? Talk. Okay. Uh, so far, let me see. Stop. I got a little echo in there. Uh, might be going away. Keep talking. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, testing. One, two, three. Okay. I don't see hear an echo now. Yep. You're good. Get it okay. in, Ron. Get yeah. it in. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. I forgot what I said. Um, <laughs> I, I I think uh, if if you're Jewish and you you don't know about who this Messiah is that we're saying is the Messiah of Israel is Yeshua. Uh, we we call him his you know his English name translated has been translated to Jesus, but he is Yeshua to us. And uh, if you ask God to show you and open up the scriptures and look at some of the prophetic scriptures as to who they predicted the Messiah would be, I think God will will show you. Uh, our, our people have been expecting a Messiah to come. They're expecting today a Messiah to come. And that Messiah has always been a righteous king who was going to come. In, in the Abrahamic covenant, he was the seed. And in the Davidic covenant, he was the son of David. But he's a righteous king, and he's going to deliver Israel from its enemies, and he's going to deliver Israel from their sins. You know, it's it's not just a temporal deliverance mm. that our people mm. need, but a spiritual deliverance that we need. And that's what the Messiah came for, and that's why Daniel said he would die. And when the Messiah came, he would be cut off, Daniel said. He will die, but he's not suffering for any evil that he has done because he would be a righteous king. But rather, he would suffer for the evil that others had done. He would suffer vicariously, and this is new revelation. So the righteous king who would suffer for us is the righteous king who would die, and he would be the substitute who died in his people's place. That's what Isaiah 53 is telling us, that it wasn't until this prophecy that it was really made clear. So I would say to my people, open up your Tanakh and look at the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. You know, we have uh, a God who is just speaking to us in miraculous ways you know and it, it, as far as religions go you know we are the only religion that has two ancient books that are separated by hundreds of years that are in perfect harmony with each other the old testament tells us what's going to happen and the new testament writes the history of the fact that it did happen no other religion has that and so let me encourage you to at least open up Isaiah 53 and maybe open up that new covenant that we never look at and look at the first verse in there. It talks about Matthew and his gospel gives us the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, and the son of David. If that's not a Jew, I don't know who is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God bless you, Ron. God bless you.
Um, very Thanks, grateful that Jesus uh, brought us together and um, and we can talk like this and just um, have a good time and and just uh, really just just be in awe and worship of uh, of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Ron. Um, well, thank thank you. Thanks, guys, for uh, and Howard and Bill and uh, thanks for uh, the time here. This was great. Yeah, it was good. And uh, we'll we'll let you know when this gets posted. Uh, uh, on the on the web page, and then it'll be on uh, our web page, and it will be uh, also on iTunes. Um, though, just for the heck of it, just so you know, this is this website is still um, under construction, but you can go to it, and it's Romans one v like Victor sixteen. So Romans one v sixteen dot com. That's okay. Uh, and can you can you like maybe email that to me? Yeah, absolutely. So that, uh, <clears throat> yep. Then I'll then have it, and I won't lose it or forget it. And if anybody wants it, I can just send it to them. Yep, yep. Right now, John Lieberman's testimony is there, and there's mm-hmm. uh, one, two, three. There's th- three, I think, three that are yet to be. Yeah, three that are yet to be posted, including yours. So uh-huh. um, uh, we'll keep you updated. Okay. I appreciate it, bro. Really, God bless you. And hey, uh, God bless guys thanks i'll talk with you take care okay all right bro okay bye-bye okay bye